We are finishing up our sermon series that we have called Recover, uh, where we've been looking for the last seven weeks at the 12 steps, uh, which you may, uh, you may be confused by. Maybe you're someone who's never uh, dealt with a traditional addiction or, or known someone who's battled that, um, and, and you may be wondering why we're preaching about that when that doesn't necessarily apply to you. And, and I would challenge you to consider that recovery really is for everybody. All of us are broken in many different ways, and we've learned during this series that these 12 steps are really for all of us to enjoy uh, because they call us back into the essentials of why it is we pursue a personal faith with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's been an incredible series for me personally. I hope it's blessed you during this Easter season. And we come to its conclusion today on Pentecost Sunday, uh, a Sunday when we remember the birth of the church. The the 12th step that we're going to look at today, the final step, says this. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And so today on this Pentecost Sunday, we we look at this 12th step and consider what it means to carry this message beyond ourselves and to continue practicing all that we've learned. And to help us in our journey today, we'll be turning our attention to Acts chapter 2, the story of the birth of the church in verses 1 through 13. I encourage and invite you to rise as you are able in body and in spirit as we hear this morning the word of God found in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. The word of God for the people of God, let us say. Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this morning. We give you thanks for this day we call Pentecost. The reminder of the kind of church that you envisioned that we were meant to be. God, as we consider what your word means for us this morning. Allow my words to be your words. Allow my thoughts to be your thoughts. 
allow these words to leap off of the pages of our Bibles and off of the screens and into our hearts, they might change the way that we live. All this we pray, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ, and we say, amen. So recently, a team of archaeologists discovered that amongst the famous Dead Sea Scrolls is a manuscript of the book of Acts in near-perfect condition that predates any previously held manuscript. Nothing short of of a monumental moment for historians and theologians alike, this manuscript doesn't differ much from others like it, apart from the opening of Acts chapter 2, this verses we just read. The scholarly world is abuzz and currently debating the veracity of this new manuscript, and though it will take a while, I'm sure, to make its way into the translations in our pew Bibles, do you want to hear what it says? Good, there's a few that said yes. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all scattered throughout town. Some had arrived early to serve as door greeters at the house, but most arrived about 15 minutes late, blaming the Sunday morning traffic. Some chose to stay home entirely because it was kind of cloudy that day and they could always catch the sermon on the next day's scroll. But anyways, the Christians gathered at the house, grabbed their coffee and took their seats halfway through the singing of the second psalm. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. This was greatly disturbing to those gathered, as violent rushing wind was nowhere to be found on the bulletin. Then divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. Some of the church members began to check their watches, knowing that this meant the service would end up going long, and they had lunch plans to consider. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability, which greatly frustrated the preacher, who had worked entirely too hard on that week's sermon, and no one was listening. At this point, the choir director noticed they were way off script and politely asked the Holy Spirit to leave. The Word of God for the people of God. If it's not obvious already, that is not a manuscript of Acts chapter 2, though it certainly feels like it could be, uh, though it could be the Pentecost story today. I think it's important for the church to remember our own origin story each year, because the truth is what churches today can be frequently so far from who we were born to be. Place yourself in that house that morning on that Pentecost day. Imagine rushing violent wind, flaming tongues descending, languages being spoken by multitudes. It really is a wild experience. And perhaps after 2,000 years of remembering this day, we've forgotten just how wild that moment must have felt. There wasn't a choir, no organ, No fancy robes or gilded worship halls, just simple people in a simple home with simple prayers who are met with fire and wind and the power of the Holy Spirit. Would we even recognize the Holy Spirit if it moved amongst us in that same way today? 
Or would we be so concerned with the uncontrollable, supernatural nature of the day that we'd run away hoping to find something comfortable and tame again? I worry that the church we have in America in the 21st century is all too often a normal, sleepy church. Let me explain what I mean. First, the church was never meant to be normal. The early Christians were defined by the ways that they lived and loved in a way that was contrary to the cultural norms of the day. They didn't just give a tithe to the temple as instructed. They gave away all of their possessions to ensure that no one in the community went without. They didn't bow at the altar of personal glory like the Romans did or the religious exclusion like some in the Jewish community did, but rather preached a gospel of grace that was open and available to all people. Much like the recovery communities that we see today, they didn't care who people were, where they came from, or how broken their story might be. They lived and loved in a way that invited others in to see that life could, in fact, be wildly different by pursuing faithful holiness born of a personal relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The church was not meant to be normal. It was meant to be weird. And Pentecost is a weird birthing experience for a weird church. The power of wind and fire brought upon simple people in a simple home. If you, if you want to be part of a weird church, say amen. amen. Well, good, because I think we are. Second, the church was never meant to be asleep. I wonder what Jesus thought when he founded the church knowing full well that one day, 2,000 years later, this movement he was launching would become another mandatory, spiritually dead part of many people's week, like picking up the dry cleaning or mowing the yard. Jesus spent his life of ministry inviting people to consider faith not as an obligation, but as an opportunity to see the world with fresh eyes to experience life with a new way of being that found infinite meaning in every moment. But that kind of faith is dangerous to the way things are because it invites people to wake up from the easily controlled monotony that is life as we know it. And so, over two millennia, we can make the mistake of allowing church to be as monotonous as the life that Christ is calling us out of. We sing the same songs, we say the same prayers, we do what we're supposed to do week in and week out, lulled to sleep by a world that honestly would prefer to keep it that way. It's so easy to get bogged down in the busyness of church work when the church has the potential to be the spirit-led force for good that ushers in the kingdom work our world needs. The church was not meant to be asleep. We were meant to be awake. Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. Good. You're helping your preacher out. Pentecost is that waking up moment we needed to set our hearts and souls on fire for preaching grace to a world that captivates the heart of God. The Pentecost experience reminds us that church should be weird and awake. The church needs to be the place where weird is a way of life and where our faith compels us to show up eyes wide open 
in the world. After this opening scene, the author continues by telling us what happens when the Spirit shows up in a house of worship. People take notice. The author says, now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? They go on to say, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. As I thought about this incredible sight of Jesus' followers speaking in language they did not know, yet understood by faithful Jews they did not know from all over the world, I couldn't help but think of a classic movie that really captures the themes of this scene. I am, of course, speaking about the cinematic masterpiece that is 1995's A Goofy Movie. I know. I know what you're thinking. Scott, really, you're going to reference a goofy movie on Pentecost? That's a little cliche. But stay with me. Oh, there's the, there's the poster. 95 was a great year, if I do say so myself. Now, I'm assuming we've all seen this movie. Yes, quick show of hands if you've seen it. Good, about four of us. Fantastic. <laughs> no, trust me, I get it. Let me give you a quick plot recap. Here's the basic plot. Goofy is a single dad who's raising his teenage son, Max. And he plans this incredible road trip where they're going to go and visit the southwest United States. And Max, for some reason, is just so embarrassed by his dad, Goofy, right? Gorsh. Um, I did that whole thing just so I could do that impersonation. In the movie... Goofy's son is, this, is a huge fan of this pop star named Powerline, and he ends up giving his dad the wrong directions during the road trip so that they could go to a Powerline concert in L.A. <gasps> I know, conflict, right? This movie has comedy, it's got drama, it's got romance, and in the end, Goofy and Max discover that maybe the real road trip was in their hearts all along. Roger Ebert's review praised it, saying, the screening was free. Anyways... At the movie's climax, Max and Goofy are at the Powerline concert, finally seeing how much they love each other as father and son, and then we hear these lyrics in the pop star's smash hit. When we listen to each other's heart, we'll find we're never too far apart, and maybe love is the reason why, for the first time ever, we're seeing it eye to eye. I know, it's silly, stay with me. I promise this is going somewhere. In the Pentecost story, we find that the early Christians are blessed by the Holy Spirit to speak in languages that they do not know, to people they've never met, and yet all are able to understand. It's such a supernatural moment, in fact, that for good salt-of-the-earth Methodists like us, it can feel totally foreign. In fact, Methodists don't have much of a history with speaking in tongues, and while we don't outright deny the gift, we don't actively pursue it in worship either. So then, what do we make of this gift of the Spirit and its work in our lives today? I was sitting in men's prayer breakfast this past week, and a quick plug, our men's prayer breakfast gathers every Wednesday at 7 a.m. in the Copeland House at the corner of our parking lot here, and it's open to all men. If you want to connect with other guys in the church, come on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. We have a great time, and we get breakfast tacos for breakfast, too. Somebody say amen for breakfast tacos. So we were discussing this passage when our own Rusty George, director of facilities and basically the glue that holds this whole place together, he says this, 
Maybe they weren't literally speaking the other languages of the people around the house. Maybe they were just praising God in the language of love, and everyone knows what that sounds like. Hmm. It is really nice when you get to steal from your congregants to write your sermon, isn't it? That's really good. You and I may not, have ever ha- may not ever have an experience where the Spirit leads us to speak an unknown foreign language with perfect accuracy, but could we be led by the Spirit to speak in a language of love and praise in a way that is compelling regardless who hears it? As Powerline says in a goofy movie, when we look into each other's heart, we'll find we're never too far apart. It's this message of overwhelming wind and fire love that speaks throughout all people and crosses every barrier. Because here's the truth. Folks outside of the house, they may not be very well versed in the language of church. In fact, they might think we sound pretty funny. But folks outside the house might not speak the language of church, but they do speak the language of love. One church I know who understands how to speak the language of love and put that on display this past week is Oaklawn United Methodist Church just down the road here in Dallas. Yesterday, they welcomed 55 mothers, fathers, and children seeking legal asylum as they flee life-threatening realities in their home countries. As the facilities along our border are overcrowded, especially in El Paso, Oak Lawn has opened their doors to receive these persons for a few days on their way to family sponsors as they continue the asylum process. For these 55 family members and the countless people who know them and love them, United Methodist Church will be a name that means sanctuary in more ways than one. Though we may not all speak the same language, I know Reverend Rachel Bachman, the people of Oak Lawn, and the name Methodist have spoken a language of love these families will not soon forget. Anyone who finds themselves facing one of life's mountains, whether that is asylum, the pain of addiction, or simply the struggles of your average week, we know the language of love when we hear it. And it's the church's call to speak that language for all outside the house to hear. Then the passage closes with what is at at both times a funny and yet jarring statement by some skeptical onlookers. It says, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Another translation could read that others sneered and said, They're drunk. It's a sobering reminder of a simple truth that we must remember as we seek to share the recovery that we have found in our walk with Christ, and we share that with others. If you're following the Spirit, some people will think you've lost it. If you're following the Spirit, some people will think that you're crazy or drunk or just you've lost it. The promise of Pentecost is not that all who hear your testimony will be convinced by it. If you've walked through recovery personally with someone that you love, or if you've walked through it personally yourself, you know that recovery can only truly begin when the individual decides they are ready for recovery. And this can be a bitter pill to swallow for those of us who can feel like that's an indictment on us or on our message. Am I not good enough? Was my message not compelling enough? What did I do wrong? 
But as we, as we carry this message of recovery outside of the home, we must be careful not to adopt that crushing burden that is the savior complex. The savior complex, that mentality that says, it is up to me to be the saving grace in the lives of those whom I love and come into contact with. Because church, here's the deal. The reality is you can be a person of utmost integrity with the most compelling message the world has ever known, speaking clearly in the language of love, and some folks are just not going to hear you. That's hard for us. If you've ever struggled with the savior complex, that's hard because usually the burden is greatest with those whom we love the most. But don't take up this work and believe that all of it rests upon your shoulders because we are not the saving work in the lives of those whom we love. Only the grace of God can do that. I think it's safe to say that Jesus was the greatest preacher and evangelist the world has ever known. And Lord knows he had his heaping helping of sneering masses who wrote him off as just another crazy person. The hard reality is some people are so comfortable with the way things are, even when the way things are is incredibly broken, that anyone who threatens that, equilib that equilibrium is easily written off as nuts or just simply ignored. We'd rather dismiss the person challenging the life we know rather than consider what it would mean to live in a new way. I want us to take heart that all of this work does not rest upon our shoulders, that God's grace is more expansive than we could ever know, that it is not our job to save every person in our lives, even the people that we love the most. I want us to hear a word of grace this morning, that that burden is not ours to bear and that God's grace can work in ways that we'll never understand and heal people in ways that we'll never see. So take heart, my friends, as you carry your message beyond the walls of this home, hold intention to truths that come with such a charge. It is our job, number one, to carry the message of recovery to the broken, and number two, it is not our job to save the broken. Only God's grace can do that. I want to close noticing that the 12th step ends in this way. We tried to practice these principles in all our affairs. We tried to practice these principles in all our affairs. Walking in recovery and walking with Christ and Pentecost itself is not a one-time event. It is a lifelong journey that requires daily attention and prayerful determination. And those in recovery that I know have told me that there's one prayer more than any other that centers them on living in the spirit every day, allowing each day to be like a mini Pentecost. The serenity prayer, which was originally written by a theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr and was eventually adopted as the mantra of 12-step ministries around the world. And it says this, God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Let's say that together. God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, 
the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Amen. It's a simple prayer with a lot of depth that can carry us our whole lives long. Perhaps the greatest response to a Pentecost experience is our taking up the prayerful art of discerning how it is God is leading us to live. Full of fire and new wine, intoxicated by the Holy Spirit, sober and awake to the work of God in the world around us and in ourselves, praising and preaching in the language of love, trusting God's recovery to redeem the lives of all God's broken and beautiful children. Amen.